Our first reading is from Mark, chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. Jesus heals a man possessed by demons. They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of Gerasenes. And when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain, for he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart, and the shackles he broke to pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always holding and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. And now we have our second reading, which is the, from Mark chapter 5, verses 10 to 20. Now there, on the hillside, a great herd of swine was feeding, and the unclean spirit begged him, send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine and the herd, numbering about 2,000, stampeded down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The swineherds ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man possessed by demons sitting there clothed in his right mind. The very man who had had the legion and they became frightened. Those who had seen what had happened to the man possessed by demons and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. Uh, before I start, I have to say, this is a story I've never really liked. I like pigs. They're funny and intelligent and sociable and I just, I, I've never felt good about the pigs in this story. 
And apart from that, I've never really noticed there's much to it. You know, it's, it's just another healing miracle. I couldn't really see the point. But thanks partly to uh, Reverend Simon directing me to a theologian I've not come across before, I've given it another chance. It's not my usual kind of sermon, but I hope it will be still a useful one. Will you please pray with me? Loving God, I pray that I have heard truly what you have to say to us through this story today, and that all of the thoughts and meditations of our hearts will absorb some of your love and wisdom so that we can shine it out in the world. Amen. So as I studied and read around the astonishing variety of interpretations that you can find for this story, it became a matter of peeling back layers, as it were, like the ancient theologians from the surface interpretation down to the allegories and the spiritual meanings deeper down. Some commentators found that the surface meaning was all they needed. For them, it's a story about demons and possession and exorcism, and for them, that's a real and live issue. They bring to the text questions like, can demons possess animals? What do you do? How do you exorcise multiple demons? And for them, those are important questions that reflect their faith and their ministries. Not so much for me. Not something that's ever come up for me, not something I think probably will. But for the community among whom I minister, for LGBT Christians, for LGBT refugees, exorcism is still something that is happening. The attempt to cast out the demons of homosexuality is still happening. And the trauma that that causes, and the wounds to people's mental health and to their faith, is an issue that I have to deal with. In my ministry, in my community, that layer is still relevant. Underneath, a more thoughtful student starts to ask about significance. And the standard answer is that it's about Jesus' authority. Jesus as the Messiah, the power, the authority over natural and supernatural forces, the ability to heal. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one with authority. And for me, yeah, that is a live and relevant issue, but it's not really a question. I suspect for most of you, that's a decision you've already made. When we decide to follow Jesus, when we've stopped asking that question, does Jesus have the power and authority. Is Jesus the Messiah? Yes, moving on. But it is still a relevant question for our communities, for the people we seek to serve, looking at the world and all the abuses and all the violence and all the suffering in it, the question, does Jesus have the power and the desire to free us, to save us? That's a relevant question. There's a question that still needs an answer, and this story provides an answer, and the answer is yes. But there's a lot of those stories. What's special about this one? A vital and relevant question and concern for our time and for our worldview 
starts to look at this as a story about mental health. No longer interpreting these symptoms as possession by an unclean spirit, we look at them through the lens of mental health. The one whose behaviors stemming from whatever illness or trauma are feared by society. They've broken the boundaries of what's acceptable and tolerable as a way of existing and being in the world. They become a threat because they don't control the behavior or can't control their behavior so that it fits the social structure. That is still relevant. That still leads to ostracism, isolation, even incarceration. We might not be using chains and shackles anymore, but if you're mentally unwell whilst also of the wrong class or color or gender or age, it might not be chains and shackles, but handcuffs and bars are a real possibility. Or chemical control, where drugs are used to make someone less of a nuisance so we don't have to address the underlying issues, so that we don't have to put effort in. So here we look to the actions of Jesus, and we see him treating this man with respect, with dignity, asking his name, looking to the roots of his issue, healing him, and then accepting him as an ambassador, the first person, I think, in this gospel sent out to tell people about Jesus. The description of this man's suffering is vivid and it's harrowing, but no more so than the stories of many people I meet with mental health issues. Because we have a system and a society that is deeply insecure and ill-prepared when it comes to mental health. But I've gone through three layers so far and I'm already still stuck with the pigs. I still haven't answered my question about the pigs. What are they doing there? Is this just fill-in detail? Is this like Tom Bombadil in The Lord of the Rings that adds nothing to the plot, just colorful detail and never makes its way into the film adaptations? What are these pigs about? Even as irrelevant fill-in detail, they bother me. The gratuitous slaughter of 2,000 animals does not sit well with the Jesus I know. And there are other questions. Why so many spirits and why a name? Jesus is not in the habit of asking demons their name. Why legion? Then there's the location. It's a problem, Gerasa. So much so that Matthew moves it. Matthew has the Gadarene area because he knows it's closer. Gerasa is more than 35 miles from Galilee. For the most athletic pig, that's a heck of a sprint to find yourself a precipice to lift up. There's no getting around it. The territory that Mark is talking about does not go down to the Sea of Galilee. So we peel back another layer and we ask, maybe this isn't a history about a specific incident 
Jesus' interaction with a particular situation. Maybe this is a parable. And this is where I get to Chad Myers that Simon directed me to. Because of the name that he gives. Because for Mark's readers, legion means just one thing. The legions. The Roman occupation. The war machine. The boot on Israel's neck. The gratuitous slaughter of thousands. And read like this, it's not just an account of what Jesus has done. It's also Mark's declaration of what he believes Jesus will do. To free the oppressed, to break the yoke, and to set God's people free. Because his context is just after the destruction of Jerusalem and the occupation. And one of the legions, the 10th legion that played a major part in that and the occupation that followed, their mascot and symbol was a pig. And Josephus also records that a city called Gerasa was the site of terrible slaughter by the Romans. Thousands killed and the lake red with blood. The hatred of the legions would have burned strong in Mark's audience. And this story expresses their faith that God's coming victory is going to overturn this. Not to mention, the story is set in the Decapolis, the Ten Cities, an area where Roman occupation was accepted, adapted to. Hence the pigs. It wasn't a very faithfully Jewish area that had pigs. And so here we have a story that speaks powerfully to the politics of power and empire and exploitation. Our demon-possessed man stands for all those who, in their uncontained suffering, tear back the polite, civilized mask that covers the injustice and the inequity and the exploitation that is built into the system. We want to believe that our systems and our cultures are fair and just, or at worst, just need a few tweaks. We want to believe that we are not so affected by the assumptions and the slaveries and the prejudices and the economic exploitations and the hidden barriers and cruelties. But the demon-possessed, the demonized, show us the truth. Why are rough sleepers invisible or criminalized? Because by their very presence, they declare the truth, which makes us so uncomfortable. They are the fallout of a system that is not meant to be good to everybody, which produces the ultra-rich and the very poor. Why are those who speak out about their abuses in the terms of pain and rage told they're unstable, unreliable, unwelcome? 
Why do we complain more about the inconveniences of strikes than the greed of the companies? More about the violence of disadvantaged youth than about the situation that put them there. They are our scapegoats because we don't want to accept that their suffering is built into the system. They are the acceptable sacrifice on the altar of our comfort. And this man's life, whether he intends it to be or not, is a living protest against the intolerable pressures that he is living under. His life screams, everything is not okay. The Decapolis have accepted the status quo and he is paying the price. So when Jesus comes and shows an alternative, a healing, when the overthrow of empire is a possibility, they are afraid. They don't want him there. The cost is too high. And the cost is high. When what is required is the dismantling of the very system that our comfort is built on, the cost is high. People will tolerate the existence of the dispossessed and the abused more than they will tolerate the presence of those who live in resistance to the system that put them there. If we let Jesus put us in our right minds, and if we allow him to teach us his infinite compassion, his passion for righteousness, his anger at cruelty, we are not going to be loved for it. A prophet is not welcomed in their own town because who is permitted to critique the culture that raised them. And so now at last, I understand why I'm so upset about the pigs. For Mark's readers, they symbolized the oppressor, the tools of military empire. But for me, they tell another story. Because even for Mark's readers, even for the new church, they were and there existed acceptable targets of wrath. People who by their very nature could not be innocent victims. Pigs in scripture are unclean because they don't fit the structure. They've got cloven hooves and they don't chew the cud. They are breaking boundaries. They are blurring the edges. They are unclean. So of course I identify with the pigs. For many people, I am intrinsically disgusting. I am neither male nor female, not physically and not by identity. I am an acceptable target for hate and rage. I blur the sacred boundary between male and female, without which, apparently, the sky will fall. 
So let's ask ourselves, who are our pigs? Who are our demonized? Who are our acceptable collateral damage to maintain our comfort? And are we willing to become the demonized? If we dare to let Jesus put us in our right minds, and if we also dare to speak up and be heard, if we go back and tell everyone in the Decapolis what God has done for us, how far are we willing to go? How far are we willing to go to live out the kingdom of God's love rather than dwelling among the dead? How far will we go? O oh Lord, look with mercy upon this company of your people, the Church. You have called us out of many lands and places to serve you in the ministry of your word. Teach us rightly to divide the word of truth. Grant that our love may grow in all knowledge and discernment. Help us each to walk worthily in the vocation wherewith we are called, forbearing one another in love and endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Teach us to look not each at his own things, but at the things of the other, so that we may impart and receive from one another whatever gift of the Spirit you have given to each. O Lord, Bind us together in the body of Christ, that we may grow unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We pray, O Lord, for your church, that it may be healed of its divisions by your grace, that it may teach your word with courage to a sinful word, and may mediate with true charity your love and mercy to all men. Strengthen every ministry of reconciliation therein with your spirit. Grant that it may be a true community of grace in which the pride of race and nation is humbled, where the strong and mighty are brought to judgment and the meek and lowly are lifted up. Make it more faithful to its Lord and more insistent to meet the needs of man. We pray, O Lord, for your children everywhere, for those who are in great distress and in pain of body or soul, by reasons of the tumults of this age, the cruelties of men, and the indifference of their fellows.
We pray for all those who have suffered and now suffer and are destitute, afflicted or tormented. And grant that our hearts may go out to their needs so that we may become vehicles of your mercy to them. We pray for all rulers and men of authority in all nations and for all who have power over their fellow men and who make decisions upon which the will and will of nations depend. Teach them the wisdom which is drawn from true humility. Let their hearts be filled with the fear of God so that they will not use their power wrongfully. Give all little men and judges and presidents and commissars who are great beyond their strength. By reason of the strength which they have drawn from and hold to the community, a sense of that judgment which stands against the judges of the earth and which renders their counsels vain when directed against the counsels of God. O God, who taught us to pray for the coming of your kingdom on this earth, give us grace to build our communities after the fashion of your kingdom, to set no boundaries about them which you would not set. To quiet the tumult and the strife within them by brotherly love. And to work the more diligently for concord within them. Because our final hope is the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Amen. And we remain standing as we close this service with our final blessing. May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord smile upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord show his favor to us and give us peace. Amen.